Minister Ren has uh, kindly agreed to join us this afternoon. Um, we, uh, we obviously, my, my next speaker doesn't need any introduction. He's very famous here in Brussels. We are delighted you're back. Um, let me just say a little bit about the format. We are going to take maybe 20 to 25 minutes for the presentation, and then if you're, with your permission, we would like to open the, the floor for, uh, for discussion. Is that uh, agreeable? Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Ladies and uh, gentlemen, uh, first of all, very glad to be back here in, in Brussels. Uh, I've spent uh, the past uh, 15 months uh, mostly on domestic, uh, especially domestic uh, economic policy issues uh, in the country I know best uh, in, in Finland. Uh, the Bruegel annual meetings uh, have become uh, an institution that uh, gathers together policymakers and experts from uh, many fields of uh, European policies. Uh, and uh, for me, this event uh, provides uh, a great opportunity to listen to your views uh, in the discussion and uh, have a certainly productive debate uh, in a genuine European spirit. Before diving into the deep waters of the Finnish economy, let us uh, have a look uh, on the wider European economy which, uh, of course, uh, sets the scene and uh, framework uh, also for Finnish uh, economic uh, policy. And we start with uh, the obvious, uh, that's uh, the GDP of uh, the Eurozone. And uh, you may see that uh, GDP, overall GDP of the Eurozone is uh, now back uh, to its uh, pre-2008 level after very serious uh, debt crisis. We had first financial and then debt crisis. Uh, and uh, it has been uh, on the path uh, of uh, recovery since uh, 2013, after the debt crisis was initially tamed. The recovery has been continuous, uh, but as we all know, fragile, rather modest. Uh, and uh, recently, circumstances uh, have uh, not been optimal due to uncertainties uh, in the world economy and uh, since the midsummer uh, because of the Brexit uh, vote. At the same time, it's also important to have a look. Uh, I know that uh, Carmen Reinhardt will be speaking here shortly, so she may, she, she may say more about this, uh, but uh, it's worth looking at uh, fiscal deficits uh, in the euro area. And uh, as you can see, in the crisis years uh, 2009 and uh, 10, they exceeded uh, 6%. Uh, in uh, many countries, uh, much higher. In Greece, uh, if I recall correctly, 15.6%. Uh, at the highest, uh, Ireland, uh, 30%. And uh, since uh, 2011, uh, they have been uh, reduced uh, so that uh, the current uh, level is uh, around uh, 2% of uh, GDP, and uh, the trend is uh, towards uh, uh, balancing the books of uh, public finances. I would say this is uh, not radical, but rather consistent uh, consolidation of public finances uh, over the medium term, where the focus is on, uh, on the structural deficit uh, rather than on the nominal targets. And then, uh, and this is the real story of the Eurozone over the past uh, 10 to 15 years. Uh, this is uh, the issue of uh, 
rebalancing of the, of the Eurozone when uh, in some countries, uh, I call them uh, deficit countries uh, and uh, surplus countries, uh, in uh, deficit countries, uh, the current account uh, deficits uh, exploded uh, around the time of the financial crisis, uh, following the financial crisis uh, and the debt crisis. Uh, and uh, they have been uh, curbed uh, following the economic reforms uh, and uh, difficult decisions uh, in 2010-2012. And at the same time, uh, in the surplus countries, surplus economies, uh, we have seen that uh, surpluses uh, have substantially uh, increased. Overall, the message of this uh, slide is that uh, the Eurozone, uh, since uh, around 2012-2013, is uh, clearly on the black uh, concerning uh, the current account uh, surplus, uh, and uh, that uh, there is uh, room of maneuver in uh, surplus economies uh, to use that uh, for domestic demand and domestic uh, investment, uh, as uh, the European Commission proposed uh, at least uh, since uh, 2012. Uh, uh, following the immediate uh, rock bottom of, uh, of the crisis. My country, and this is the bridge uh, to Finland, uh, the country I know best, uh, is uh, a good or I would say rather a bad example in this regard. Uh, I have put it uh, into the category of uh, surplus countries, uh, which was the case uh, up until 2011, and uh, for the sake of consistency kept it in that category, which uh, reduces the surplus uh, to an extent uh, tiny extent. Uh, but uh, since uh, 2011, Finland has uh, unfortunately been uh, a deficit country. Maybe you can take it as a, as a story of a country that, uh, a story of a case that uh, how easy it is to lose uh, your position as a surplus economy and uh, dive into the less than fortunate uh, status of, uh, of a deficit uh, economy. So, Overall, I think it's uh, noteworthy that uh, the Eurozone economy seems to be more resilient than what uh, was uh, probably expected uh, in the face of uh, uh, the Brexit, uh, for instance. Uh, I know that uh, over the summer there has been uh, a lot of uh, reflection and uh, speculation on uh, what would be the future EU-UK relationship. Uh, for me, it goes without saying that uh, Britain should be a close partner for the European Union also in the future, and uh, the trade policy framework uh, should uh, likewise be made uh, mutually beneficial. The question of uh, Britain's access uh, to the single market uh, will no doubt uh, be at the core of the negotiations. Uh, in this regard, uh, it is of uh, paramount importance uh, not to water down the four freedoms uh, which was also clearly stated uh, by the leaders of the European Union in their meeting in June. So, what about uh, the case of uh, Finland now? Let me focus uh, next uh, on my home country, Finland, uh, which uh, was in a stagnating recession and uh, slow motion economic uh, decline for too many years. Our goal now is to turn the economy around uh, onto the path of uh, sustainable growth and uh, job creation. Last year's uh, growth was uh, positive, and uh, this year's uh, forecast is uh, positive as well, with uh, 
1.1% uh, uh, economic uh, growth uh, uh, forecast. But, uh, of course, 1% uh, uh, is not enough, uh, and uh, we have still uh, much to do to solidify and uh, strengthen uh, the recovery. GDP of Finland uh, in uh, 2018 uh, is uh, still estimated to remain slightly below the level of uh, the pre-crisis uh, peak, uh, which was uh, in 2007 to 2008. So, why has uh, the Finnish economy suffered uh, so badly after the financial crisis? It was the result of a combination of uh, structural shocks uh, rather than uh, only a cyclical downturn. In other words, uh, the low growth uh, trajectory in uh, 2011 to 15 was caused uh, by several simultaneous uh, structural factors. Uh, that is, uh, structural changes in our key industries, uh, especially ICT and uh, forestry, economic difficulties uh, in uh, our key export destinations, uh, and uh, a rapidly aging workforce. At the same time, our export industries, uh, and actually the whole national economy, suffered uh, from a very serious loss of uh, cost competitiveness uh, in terms of uh, unit uh, labor costs. You can see it here, if you look at uh, the years from uh, 2006 uh, seven until uh, 2012, uh, you can see how Finland lost, uh, which is the red uh, graph, uh, lost uh, relative competitiveness uh, in relation to uh, the Eurozone, which is the black uh, straight line indexed uh, at uh, 100. Uh, you can see the relative loss of uh, cost competitiveness uh, while, uh, for the sake of comparison, you have uh, Germany with uh, uh, the uh, green line and you have Sweden with uh, the blue line, both the dotted uh, lines, uh, where especially Germany improved, uh, as we all know, its uh, cost competitiveness uh, in the first uh, decade of this uh, millennium. So, uh, there's a combination of uh, structural problems uh, in export industries uh, and simultaneous uh, loss of uh, competitiveness in uh, unit labor costs, uh, which is uh, not a very good receipt uh, for a small open uh, economy like uh, uh, Finland. After a recession that lasted uh, four consecutive years uh, since 2011, uh, as I said, uh, the economy now has turned into a modest growth uh, since last year. When the present uh, government uh, started uh, 15 months ago, in June 2015, it was clear that uh, our main task uh, was to bring uh, Finland uh, back to the path uh, of uh, recovery and sustainable growth, uh, and uh, thus uh, to significantly raise uh, the employment uh, rate. Hence, uh, economic reforms uh, and uh, restoring the sustainability of public finances uh, are at the core of our four-year term. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look at uh, Finland uh, from the broader European perspective, like uh, we tend to do at uh, Bruegel, one could describe uh, case Finland uh, as a case in point uh, of a northern Eurozone country that is going through an internal devaluation in the era of uh, common currency, 
and uh, pursuing economic uh, reforms uh, to that end uh, in the spirit of uh, the Commission's recommendations uh, from the years uh, 2010 to 2014. Thus, uh, you may note that uh, I do now practice uh, what I preached uh, in my Commission duty in those years, uh, and I have to say that uh, I am very motivated uh, in this uh, task. To turn the economy on the path of uh, sustained growth again, uh, the government focuses on uh, three key objectives. Uh, first, uh, restoring our cost competitiveness uh, and pursuing structural reforms. Uh, second, uh, ensuring the sustainability of uh, public finances. And uh, third, uh, at the same time, uh, investing in growth sectors uh, and improving the business uh, environment. I will now focus on uh, restoring cost competitiveness and uh, pursuing uh, structural reforms uh, for growth. What have we done to this effect? Uh, the first uh, necessary task, task of the government uh, was indeed uh, to restore competitiveness uh, and uh, following uh, five rounds of uh, negotiations uh, over one year with uh, the trade unions uh, and uh, employers, uh, we concluded uh, what we call a competitiveness uh, pact uh, in uh, May, mandated by Prime Minister Sipila with uh, two of my colleagues. Uh, we invested uh, all our time and energy 24-7 over the past uh, six months uh, in rounds four and five of these talks uh, with uh, the trade unions uh, and uh, employers. As the very last uh, signatures uh, were sealed uh, only yesterday in Helsinki, you may forgive me feeling a certain sense of uh, relief uh, today because of this. What does this mean? It means that uh, the agreement uh, will reduce uh, the unit labor costs uh, by 4% uh, with a rapid uh, but permanent effect uh, by increasing the effective working time by three days uh, or 24 hours uh, per year. And uh, by shifting uh, part of the unemployment and uh, social security benefits uh, and costs uh, from the employers uh, to employees. These measures uh, will help uh, the price competitiveness of Finnish companies, uh, especially export industries. Uh, and uh, they are, as is obvious to any economist, uh, comparable to effects uh, of uh, an internal devaluation. The coverage of the pact uh, is, uh, in terms of uh, labor force, uh, is uh, now as high as uh, 91%, uh, which was uh, the threshold uh, to trigger the highest possible tax, cut, uh, tax cuts, which we set uh, by the government. Uh, and as part of this pact, uh, in return, the government uh, will boost uh, domestic demand uh, by reducing income taxes uh, to wage earners uh, by over 500 million euros, which is uh, about 0.25% uh, of uh, GDP. Now, what is the impact uh, on growth and jobs? Uh, the Finnish economists uh, agree, which, uh, by the way, is uh, rather rare in the profession for any economists uh, knowing the old story of uh, five economists uh, and uh, six uh, points of view. They agree that uh, the 
competitiveness pact uh, will help uh, creating uh, 35 to 45,000 uh, new jobs. This is agreed uh, not only by the economists of the government and research institutes, uh, but also by the social partners, uh, both employers and uh, the trade unions uh, economists. The overall goal of the government uh, is to create uh, 110,000 uh, new jobs uh, during the parliamentary term and uh, raise the employment rate uh, to 72%. Uh, today, with the, the employment rate of 68.5%, uh, so the target is 72, we are now at 68.5, we are badly trailing behind uh, the other Nordic countries uh, like Sweden with uh, the 76% uh, employment rate uh, and uh, Denmark with uh, its 75% uh, uh, employment uh, rate. Moreover, the wage setting system uh, will also be reformed uh, by specifying uh, a so-called uh, Finnish model which uh, will be based uh, on the benchmark of uh, internationally exposed uh, export sectors uh, when setting the wages uh, in uh, other sectors. It is likely to be very similar to the one of the Swedish model where this has been practiced uh, essentially since, since the late uh, 1990s. So I come back to this uh, earlier slide uh, and uh, now we can look at uh, the years from 2015-16 onwards uh, until 2020. The Calculations of the economists, uh, the estimates, uh, forecasts of the economists uh, based on the me policy measures uh, agreed uh, is that uh, all in all uh, the pact uh, will lead us to catch up uh, in terms of uh, cost competitiveness uh, with Sweden by 2018 and uh, with uh, Germany by 2020. Of course, this assumes a certain uh, increase of uh, wages in Germany and Sweden. So. We wish uh, best of success uh, to IG Metall, other German trade unions, uh, as well as to the whole Swedish uh, trade union movement. I hope you will succeed uh, well in your negotiations. Uh, furthermore, uh, the Competitiveness Pact uh, included, uh, includes uh, significant elements uh, towards uh, firm level local agreement uh, on uh, working conditions, uh, such as uh, on the working time, Local or firm level negotiations uh, are thus uh, moving forward, uh, not as a big bang revolution, but uh, rather through a process of uh, evolution, which fits uh, to the fairly consensual nature of the Finnish uh, society. Now, before concluding, uh, let me make a footnote uh, concerning policy choices uh, within uh, the monetary union even if uh, that would be self-evident uh, to those uh, present uh, in this uh, hall. And this is actually stimulated by my discussions uh, with, uh, a, with an American friend of mine. He's an economist, uh, political economist, uh, in fact, uh, IPE. And uh, he pointed out that uh, it's not so self-evident uh, why people think uh, it is uh, beneficial for countries like Finland uh, to be members of the monetary union. So. I want to explain to you why we think in Finland that uh, for us uh, the stability provided uh, by the single currency is uh, the better option uh, despite uh, all the difficulties of adjustment uh, we face uh, 
uh, under the regime of, uh, of uh, the currency union. In other words, uh, as a member of the currency union, Finland, uh, by definition, has uh, no option of uh, currency devaluation or external devaluation of our exchange rate. Uh, and there is uh, no denying that uh, it is hard uh, for a country that uh, did get uh, accustomed uh, to devaluations uh, as a major policy tool since, uh, in fact, uh, the very history of uh, economic policy of Finland uh, is uh, essentially a history of uh, major devaluations uh, in between 1921 to 1992. So you lost, com you lost competitiveness in one decade uh, and you were devalued uh, every 10 years, uh, basically. 1921, 1931 with the sterling, then of course the war economy in between, then 1947, 57, 67, 77, uh, mid-1980s, uh, and uh, the last, uh, last drinks uh, in uh, 1991-92, after George Soros uh, put down the pound sterling and uh, the Finnish uh, mark. So, that's the history of, uh, of the country, and I have to say that uh, it was not uh, a pure paradise uh, under those conditions uh, to restore economic growth uh, in the 1990s. I worked for the then Prime Minister, Mr. Esko Aho, and uh, we faced a situation in the world of uh, free capital movements uh, in the economic recession of the early 1990s. Uh, we had to devalue twice uh, over 30 percent uh, and uh, the interest rates uh, were close to 20% uh, uh, in the economy. I recall that uh, we first checked from the TV, text TV, how much the Finnish market had uh, plummeted uh, overnight. Uh, and uh, then we checked, uh, we called uh, the treasury and we, we checked uh, whether we still have uh, any money left uh, in the coffers uh, of the Ministry of uh, Finance. So it was not a paradise uh, either. And, uh, Unfortunately, ordinary citizens uh, had to carry a very heavy debt burden. Many SMEs, uh, tens of thousands of SMEs went uh, bust uh, because they had uh, loans uh, in uh, foreign currency and uh, unemployment uh, first soared uh, to almost uh, 20% uh, before the rebalancing started in the second half of the 1990s. So in any case, uh, the basic fact of uh, living in a currency union uh, leaves uh, internal devaluation uh, as the only relevant option to correct uh, the profound loss of uh, cost competitiveness uh, after Finland uh, turned, uh, as I said, uh, to a semi-permanent uh, deficit country in 2011. This equals, uh, yes, uh, this equals uh, to a regime change uh, in the country's uh, economic policy model and, uh, of course, uh, then calls for appropriate tools of uh, economic uh, adjustment uh, in tune with that uh, economic policy model. And I have to say that uh, being a realist, uh, it would be an illusion to believe that uh, the surplus countries uh, were to reflate uh, the Eurozone out of the slow growth uh, trajectory. And uh, as a nation, we cannot uh, count on that. I wish that, but we cannot count on that. Neither could Greece, uh, for instance, uh, or other program countries, uh, as uh, the Varoufakis uh, experiment uh, uh, proves. In fact, uh, it was uh, no other than John Maynard Keynes uh, who made uh, quite a realistic observation 
at the time of uh, preparing the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944. I quote, uh, for a creditor country, adjustment is uh, voluntary, but for a debtor country, it is uh, obligatory, unquote. I say this uh, knowing well that uh, the Eurozone would be overall better off uh, by overcoming Keynes's uh, pessimistic, uh, but on the other hand, uh, realistic uh, maxim with uh, more cooperative solutions uh, and a genuinely first best uh, policy mix, uh, including boosting investment uh, in the surplus uh, countries. Still back to Finland uh, and um, Finally, the measures alone that I described uh, are not sufficient, uh, and that's why we are tackling our structural weaknesses uh, with uh, a bold uh, economic reform agenda. And uh, one key policy program uh, is uh, called uh, the Entrepreneurship uh, Package. Uh, we aim to remove barriers uh, to entrepreneurship uh, and improve the overall business environment for SMEs uh, and other businesses uh, aiming at uh, the domestic market and uh, global markets. Concrete actions uh, include, uh, for instance, uh, opening the market uh, to competition. Last fall, we started uh, in, uh, in June, so uh, immediately after the first, uh, first meetings of, of the government uh, in the Economic Policy Committee, we decided that uh, we will take uh, a rather radical step of uh, complete uh, liberalization of uh, shopping hours uh, in, in the country. We had for 20 or 30 years, uh, we had, uh, had uh, one patchwork uh, on another, kind of uh, layers of patchworks, uh, which had regulated uh, shopping hours. Uh, and uh, that was considered uh, an excessive uh, red tape. Uh, and that's why, while we were concerned about uh, opposition in the society, we decided uh, we will go for a big bang we replace all that patchwork, uh, we just uh, write a very short bill saying that uh, shopping hours uh, are decided by the shopkeepers with very small reservations. That entered into force uh, as of 1st of January this year, and uh, the customers are satisfied, uh, shopkeepers are satisfied, uh, and by and large uh, also the employees are satisfied uh, because they get some more extra pay because of, uh, of this uh, and this has helped uh, to keep up uh, domestic demand, uh, consumer consumption and domestic demand uh, in, the, in the economy. The government is also investing uh, to support uh, uh, the development uh, in sectors uh, where we see most uh, potential for sustained uh, economic uh, growth. And uh, I call these uh, sectors uh, with the acronym uh, B, C, H uh, times uh, D power 2. What I mean is that uh, B is uh, for the bioeconomy, which is quite obvious in the country of uh, green, coal, green coal. C for clean tech and uh, green solutions. Uh, H uh, for healthcare and uh, health related technologies. Uh, and uh, D for digitalization uh, as the underpinning driver of, uh, of economic growth. Uh, across uh, the sectors. For instance, uh, we have uh, a new investment uh, program for uh, renewable energy and uh, new energy technology. And there are more than 40 uh, projects uh, uh, covered in this uh, 
mostly for bioenergy power plants uh, in the program and uh, their total value exceeds uh, 3 billion of uh, 3 billion euros to the social side uh, finally we will complete uh, these efforts uh, to uh, stimulate the economy by an employment package uh, which was decided uh, by and large last week uh, and uh, by a pilot study on uh, basic uh, income. The goal is to reduce uh, the tax beds uh, and uh, to remove uh, the incentive traps uh, of uh, working and uh, thus uh, to reform uh, social security benefits uh, in a way that uh, encourages uh, taking up uh, a job uh, so that uh, every euro you earn is, uh, is uh, bringing you net uh, increase uh, in your income, which is not the case uh, today, at least uh, in the Nordic, uh, Nordic countries. This is, in fact, uh, what uh, the economists know, very, very similar to the idea of uh, a negative income tax, uh, and uh, we try to apply the lessons learned in this regard uh, based on the, the evolution of the pilot study, which uh, will last uh, for two years, uh, 2017 and 18, starting next uh, January, the government uh, will design, decide uh, on uh, the potential future measures uh, in advancing the basic income type uh, uh, solutions. I recall the debate in the late 1980s, uh, and we, we were actually quite far in this regard uh, already at the time but unfortunately, the economic recession of the 1990s uh, cut that debate short, uh, and, and I'm very happy that uh, we are now back this debate uh, and we can pursue basic income solutions uh, with this uh, experiment and hopefully make it uh, more permanent uh, uh, one day. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one final note uh, on the preconditions of uh, stronger and sustainable growth, uh, which applies uh, equally to Europe in general and uh, to Finland in particular. As the example of uh, Japan's uh, abenomics uh, has uh, proven, there is uh, no silver bullet, uh, there is no single arrow to bring uh, higher growth. Uh, instead, uh, we need to make uh, all relevant uh, arrows uh, fly, which in Europe means uh, boosting investment and reforms, uh, consistently balancing public finances, uh, and uh, executing uh, an expansionary monetary policy. That's uh, the receipt uh, for a stronger real economy for sustainable growth and uh, job creation. Thank you very much for your attention, and I'm very much looking forward to listening to your views. Thank you very much, uh, Minister, for a very interesting discussion. Before I, I pass on the, the, the word to the floor, I was wondering if I could uh, uh, perhaps abuse my position and ask a couple of questions. Drawing from your experience, of course, as a commissioner here in, in, uh, in, in Brussels, I, I, I'm very tempted to ask you a question about your first slide, the GDP uh, in the euro area. As you, as you mentioned, we are now at a level of GDP which is uh, comparable to what we had in 2008. But as you also said, we are now in a position where we have a very strong current account surplus uh, in the euro area of the order of magnitude of about 4% of GDP. Um, so how comparable is our GDP position now to that of 2008, given that we now have a continent that is actually exporting capital, so it's not investing in its own continent, but is exporting, is ex exporting abroad. 
Um, so that's, you know, you're talking about sustainable growth. How sustainable is that when you have a continent that is not uh, investing in aggregate demand? That's one, that's one question. And then I was wondering if you could say something about your last slide as well. This is a pilot study. You haven't said much in your presentation, but I think from a sort of a, a political economy point of view, how do you go about designing an experiment and then implementing its, uh, its results? Thank you. If I, if I start, uh, start from the latter one, so uh, we have, uh, in fact, uh, when we started uh, 15 months ago in, uh, in the then new government, uh, we decided that uh, we will conduct uh, experiments, uh, deliber deliber deliberately conduct uh, experiments in uh, several fields uh, where we believe that uh, we need to learn uh, during the process of uh, implementation and uh, then uh, maybe in two years or so to uh, correct uh, the course. And uh, this uh, basic income pilot study is uh, one of these. Uh, it is uh, certainly, to my mind, uh, the most uh, promising, but uh, also uh, perhaps uh, the most uh, controversial and uh, also fairly costly. We have uh, selected, or we, we have decided that we will select uh, randomly 2,000 people, uh, um, unemployed people, for this uh, study. One could argue that uh, why don't you have uh, a broader selection of, uh, of uh, um, persons in this. Uh, yes, why not? Uh, but uh, our public finances uh, are not in a very good uh, uh, state, uh, so we decided we start with a more focused uh, study, especially in order to see what kind of an impact uh, does it have if you combine certain social security benefits uh, and uh, make them uh, kind of lump them together to as a, as a basic income? You cannot uh, put everything together, and for instance, uh, the kind of uh, housing benefit uh, will will have to be separate from this. Uh, but uh, at least uh, on the basis of the, this study, we get we expect we will get. Uh, information, uh, analytic, uh, analytic raw material, ASIC cards, uh, how this affects uh, incentives uh, to, to work uh, and uh, enterprise. There are other cases like um, one experiment on uh, how we reduce the threshold of uh, hiring the first person in a, in a very SM, uh, small SME. Uh, there are other experiments in the field of, uh, say, participatory social security uh, altogether, I think a dozen projects uh, are, are going on for the moment. Concerning your first question about uh, the current account uh, surplus and uh, deficit, uh, you may recall that uh, uh, 10 years ago, uh, we were in a situation, uh, we don't have the slide, maybe I'd, I'd just uh, put the slide uh, on here, so. Here we go. So you can see that uh, in around uh, 2007, uh, that was the peak year of, uh, of deficits. Uh, um, if you look at the red uh, bar, you can see that uh, they increased uh, a lot. And this, was, of course, uh, it was known always that uh, this is the root cause of, uh, of the Eurozone crisis, uh, not uh, public debt uh, as such. It was a matter of uh, the certain casting defects uh, in the Eurozone, in the Economic and Monetary Union, and uh, then a mispricing of risk uh, in, the, in the private sector. And uh, we have had, to, unfortunately, we have had to do the rebalancing uh, through a very hard way, because we have not been able to overcome the maximum of, uh, of Keynes uh, and find uh, more cooperative uh, solutions. 
our advice in the Commission in the recommendations uh, was that uh, it would be important that the surplus countries uh, would uh, invest uh, in domestic investment and uh, boost uh, domestic demand, uh, for instance, by wage increases, uh, which would have provided uh, us with uh, a more balanced uh, outcome earlier on. But uh, again, back to Keynes, as this is not uh, this was not possible, then uh, then we we had uh, the way that we had to choose and. Uh, at least we are now in a situation where we have a fairly, fairly strong position, but at the same time, I still believe that uh, it would be important that uh, the surplus countries uh, would uh, use uh, their possibilities of, uh, of boosting domestic demand uh, and uh, especially domestic uh, investment, because uh, we have a lack of investment in Europe. Uh, and that's why uh, the European Fund for Strategic Investments uh, and EIB, EIF uh, are doing very valuable work uh, in order to support uh, the level of investment in Europe. Is growth sustainable while we still have a, a surplus of that order of magnitude? It's maybe even uh, in some ways too sustainable. In other words, uh, you could uh, afford uh, to boost uh, aggregate uh, demand, uh, especially through investment, uh, mm. and uh, have a stronger growth, uh, which would be still sustained. Uh, I mean, we have no inflation for the moment, uh, virtually. So. Uh, yeah, not in a deflationary situation uh, on the other hand, but uh, we are in a low inflation situation for the past two years. Uh, thus, uh, there is uh, still a room of manoeuvre in, in terms of uh, stimulating the economy. Thank you. Well, let me now turn to the floor uh, for questions uh, from the floor. Lady at the front. My name is Dalia Marin. I'm a professor of economics at the University of Munich and the Senior Research Fellow at Bruegel. Um, I have a question. Um, the similarity between Finland and Austria strikes me, because these are the two countries besides Greece which have do, doing very poorly in the last five years. Uh, I have been studying Austria, and I found that the um, integration with Eastern Europe has uh, has had a long-term effect on the economy in Austria. So since Finland is also a neighbor of Eastern Europe, my, and you haven't mentioned it, I wanted to ask you whether you don't see any source of growth failure because of Eastern Europe. Thank you. And indeed, uh, Austria and Finland have uh, many similarities uh, in both uh, their security policy choices and uh, economic uh, policy model in the, in the past. Uh, I did my DPhil, my, my doctoral thesis, uh, on uh, corporatism and industrial competitiveness in small European states. And uh, I had Austria as one case study. It's the, the prototype of, uh, of democratic corporatism in, in Europe, as you, as you probably know. Uh, I, I spare you from a long lecture on this. Uh, I could give you a long lecture on that, but uh, there are many similarities. Uh, uh, at the same time, uh, in the past 20 years, uh, Austria has been uh, benefiting uh, greatly from uh, the Eastern enlargement of the European Union, at least uh, up until, uh, say, uh, post-crisis uh, period uh, for the first uh, 15 years, uh, so that uh, the Austrian uh, businesses and uh, banks uh, actually were well integrated uh, with uh, 
I'm not saying with the former Austro-Hungarian Empire, but uh, with uh, the Eastern and Central European uh, economies. Uh, and that was mutually beneficial. It was beneficial for the countries of uh, Central Eastern Europe uh, and also beneficial for, for Austria. The difference is that uh, in the case of Finland, uh, we have uh, two main neighbors, one small, one big. Uh, in this regard, uh, if you look at Eastern Europe, uh, we have uh, in the south, we have Estonia. In fact, uh, Finland and Estonia are very integrated uh, between themselves. Uh, and I hope that one day we will see a tunnel under the Bay of Finland, uh, so that uh, Helsinki and Tallinn and their economic areas are integrated into one wider area. That's a hint uh, for those who decide on the European Fund uh, for Strategic Investments. Uh, be my guest. Uh, be my guest on that. But uh, the other other direction, uh, the eastern direction, Russia has uh, suffered uh, from a serious economic downturn already before the annexation of Crimea and uh, the war in eastern Ukraine. And uh, this has had uh, quite substantial effect. Uh, it's kind of a structural economic shock uh, in the context of Finland. Uh, and uh, that coincided with those other negative factors uh, that I explained. Uh, just to give you one figure, on average, uh, the trade between uh, Finland and uh, Russia or Finland and the Soviet Union over the past 100 years has been in the scale of 10 to 15 percent. The high point was 25, maybe, when the oil prices were very high in the 1980s, so 10 to 15 percent. Uh, now, uh, the exports of Finland uh, to Russia only represent 5 to 6 percent of uh, our exports. So it's actually on an unnaturally low level. Of course, the sanctions have an impact, but uh, the main reason is, uh, is the downturn of, uh, of the Russian economy. I think uh, the Russian economy is now kind of muddling through, stabilizing uh, but uh, the medium to long term future of the Russian economy will depend on whether President Putin will give uh, real power to uh, Alexei Kudrin and his economic reform program, which he is currently designing to be launched uh, when the fourth uh, term, presidential term of Putin, will start in 2018. Can we take a question there from the gentleman there and, and there? Gerhard Stahl, I teach at uh, College of Europe and Peking University. I have a question taking up your description of surplus and deficit countries. There is one deficit country, a big one, which lives very well being a deficit country. That means the United States. This country has been able, as a deficit country, to be a good model for economic dynamism. Uh, I would like uh, to get from you some comments why the United States can, be, can live so well as a deficit country and why you are so much concentrating on the need to create surplus or to be in a balanced position. And then adding to this question, I would like to you, from you to get a comment about one of the ambitions of the Euro uh, construction. And this was also to allow that the Euro becomes an international reserve currency maybe giving more leeway and more margin of maneuver for the Europeans having an important currency. So this is an invitation to add to your description this additional element. One more if you don't mind. Uh, yes. 
I'm Philip Debuc with uh, Hill and Holt on Strategies and uh, member of the European Economic and Social Committee. Thank you very much, Minister. I was used to say Commissioner. But uh, uh, two questions. One, on your slides, you say we want to streamline foreign experts. What do you mean by that? Is that more foreign experts or less foreign experts? And secondly, as an open country, uh, you benefit from the European trade policy. How do you look at the current trade policy of the European Union in terms of uh, CETA with Canada, Japan, and of course the United States? Thank you very much. Would you like to answer this and we'll take another round? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I start with uh, Philip's, uh, Philip's question. Uh, regrets about uh, the translation mistake. Uh, it seems that uh, we should have uh, been more careful in terms of uh, translating uh, the objective. Uh, the, the clear goal is that uh, we will uh, streamline the procedures uh, to speed up uh, permits uh, for uh, foreign experts. Uh, I mean, of course, for U EU citizens, uh, they don't need a work permit in Finland, uh, but uh, for uh, non-EU citizens, uh, we want to speed up the procedures uh, because uh, they have been uh, cumbersome, and uh, that's something that uh, very lively startup community in Finland uh, and many ICT companies, especially, are complaining about, uh, rightly so. And uh, we will we will uh, pursue this uh, this objective, which uh, which is indeed important uh, to further internalization of uh, of the economy. On uh, trade policy, to my mind, uh, the European Commission has, uh, under the difficult circumstances uh, concerning uh, multilateral, multilateral negotiations, uh, you recall the fate of the Doha development round. Uh, we all had, uh, well, at least I had, uh, many of us had uh, high hopes uh, on uh, the Doha development round. Uh, I recall uh, Pascal Lamy pursuing uh, very constructive approach uh, in that regard and uh, being one of the pioneers of uh, of that uh, say policy of combining trade and development uh, to which I subscribe. Unfortunately, we faced uh, a wall in that regard, uh, a brick wall, and uh, then uh, I recall at the time, uh, member of the commission, that uh, we decided uh, deliberately we will have to go for uh, bilateral and regional agreements uh, because the multilateral road was completely blocked. Uh, and uh, in some ways this has uh, brought results uh, and uh, as a former member of the European Parliament's uh, International Trade Committee, I'm very supportive of uh, reasonable free trade agreements uh, like with Canada. And uh, I certainly hope that uh, TTIP uh, could materialize uh, one day without underestimating the difficulties uh, on the other side of the pond uh, and uh, on our own, own continent. So, uh, to my mind, uh, without being, uh, say, a specialist nowadays on, of, of this area, to my mind, uh, the European Commission is doing uh, good work and I hope that they will get support from the European Parliament uh, so that uh, despite the difficult external circumstances, we could keep the trade policy agenda alive uh, for Europe. As regards uh, Gerhard's uh, question on uh, US dollar and uh, its role, uh, or say US uh, deficit uh, and uh, the role of uh, the US dollar, I think uh, 
the issue is precisely this, uh, so that uh, the United States uh, is in a very different situation uh, in the global economy. It is, uh, as one uh, scholar of international political economy put it, uh, it's the, the only country that can afford uh, Keynesianism in a true sense of the word. Uh, so he called it uh, Keynesianism in one state. And uh, the reason is uh, very much related to the role of the international reserve currency of, uh, of the US dollar and uh, the possibility of uh, backing up uh, the, the treasury actions uh, with, uh, with uh, say, without having to worry about, uh, about the currency's uh, role. The euro can uh, over time uh, return to a, to a significant uh, international reserve currency, and it already is, of course, uh, but uh, I believe that uh, we have to take decisions uh, one day on the further reconstruction of, uh, of the Eurozone, one day when the political conditions are more ripe uh, and uh, better for that, uh, uh, so that, uh, let's say, the foundations of the Eurozone are stronger and uh, thus uh, facilitating uh, a better role for an international reserve currency. Why Finland, for instance, cannot afford this, uh, I explained it to you, how was life uh, in the 1990s? Uh, that's life uh, if, you, uh, if you lose your competitiveness, uh, if you have a big deficit, uh, and if you don't happen to have uh, an international reserve currency. And by the way, this is uh, one of the key reasons uh, why the US economists, uh, not because of bad faith, uh, I think, uh, but uh, why the majority of uh, American economists uh, simply misunderstand Europe, uh, because they, they treat the Eurozone as if uh, it were like a political federation like the United States is uh, with an international reserve currency. The Eurozone is not uh, a political federation and we don't have an international reserve currency like uh, the US has. Well, I have one last round of questions, yes. Uh, here and then Francesco. Jan Rafsipkes, uh, APW. I just had on devaluation, the old style that you experienced, and the internal devaluation which you now experienced and which seems to have been very lengthy. What is the hardship on the population and the, S, uh, the small business community uh, comparable? Is it much harder uh, or, or is it the same? If you could devalue, would you have preferred that? Well, Francesco Vadia from Bruegel. Um, I have two very different questions. The first one, I'm puzzled uh, by your emphasis on competitiveness. Why do you care? about competitiveness instead of caring about productivity. Why do you want to make your assessment depend on what IG Metal does? Uh, look at how much you increase productivity in your country, not relative to anybody, uh, anybody else. So this is my first question. Uh, the second question, as I said, is very different and it's more methodological. Um, Many years ago, they conducted an experiment in a, in a factory, uh, a Hawthorne factory in the US. Um, and they kept changing the lighting, and they kept changing the temperature um, uh, in which uh, production took place. And every change led to an increase of productivity. Uh, and that was clearly not anything having to do with the change of temperature or light, but just the fact that people were observed. Uh, and this increased productivity. How can you make sure that your pilot uh, on basic income is not affected by this author effect, whereby 
you find that people do things just because they are observed, not because they are given a basic income. Thank you. I, I hope I, uh, I was listening to you very carefully. I hope I heard everything you said. It's, uh, the acoustics are not, uh, not uh, perfect, or my, my ears are not perfect anymore. But anyway, uh, concerning the first question uh, as regards uh, the comparison between uh, an internal devaluation on one hand and external devaluation on the, on the other hand, uh, in uh, the case of Finland, if you look at the case of Finland, uh, so in the past century, Finland actually had uh, five different kinds of uh, exchange rate regimes. Uh, I don't want to list them all, but uh, from uh, the gold standard uh, to uh, fixed uh, floating exchange rates, uh, then the currency, currency union. The issue is, uh, to my mind, that uh, you can live with uh, all these uh, currency regimes, uh, but uh, only on the condition that uh, you have the right uh, policy tools of uh, adjustment uh, and uh, that the society is uh, able to use this uh, in a smart and uh, also effective manner. The classic case is uh, Barry, Barry Eichengreen especially has, uh, has proven uh, the end of the gold standard uh, in the 1920s, why it was not possible to return to the gold standard uh, after the First World War. There were many other reasons as well, but uh, there was one fundamental uh, sociological reason which was uh, two things, uh, the birth of uh, mass democracy, and uh, second, uh, the increased uh, rights of the trade unions. So you didn't have the same kind of uh, economic, uh, flexible economic conditions, or flexible entre guillemets, as you had, uh, say, in the 19th century or early, early 20th century. That's why, that's the fundamental reason why the gold standard didn't work, uh, uh, and uh, why many countries uh, then at some point realized uh, why, why they had to, uh, find another kind of, uh, adopt another kind of uh, currency regime. So in our case, uh, the internal devaluation is uh, slower, but it is also uh, less painful for the population uh, if you can do it uh, credibly and uh, also effectively in the end of the, end of the day. And of course, uh, we are still in the middle of, uh, I, I hate to say this, in the middle of the experiment of, uh, of uh, case Finland in, in this regard. The external devaluation can be quicker, but it's also quite dirty. And uh, then it depends uh, how other things, uh, said there is paribus, how other things will, will evolve. In the Finnish case, uh, in the 1990s, uh, much has been made of uh, uh, the increase of R&D spending and uh, Nokia's, Nokia's uh, uh, rise uh, in the 1990s, uh, that's true, but uh, at the same time, uh, the external devaluation and uh, the corporate uh, tax reform uh, played at least as important role for the rise of the Finnish economy in the 1990s, uh, if one wants to be really honest and not, uh, not try to uh, play politics uh, as we shouldn't. As regards uh, your question on uh, competitiveness versus uh, productivity, uh, Productivity is, of course, uh, the key variable, uh, key objective of uh, economic policy. And uh, I don't want to, by no means, uh, underestimate its uh, importance, uh, like uh, Robert Cordon has shown that uh, we are suffering from uh, lower productivity growth uh, in the developed economies in the recent uh, 
recent years. Uh, um, that's one debate, that's an important debate uh, from the point of view of uh, economic policy and structural policy of uh, a uh, Eurozone member state, for instance. Uh, it is uh, a question of uh, how you can, uh, in parallel, improve your cost competitiveness uh, while at the same time uh, improving your real or structural competitiveness. Uh, and what we are trying to do is uh, indeed uh, enhance productivity by investing in R&D we have commissioned a study from the OECD to evaluate uh, why the innovation system does not work as well as it should uh, in Finland. Uh, and uh, we are also uh, um, reforming uh, innovation and education system, investing in, uh, as I said, uh, bioeconomy, clean tech, uh, health tech, uh, digitalization. These are all uh, in order to enhance uh, productivity. But at the same time, uh, as, as we have to be honest, uh, that is often a medium to long-term success, uh, if you have success, uh, and we have to live uh, over the short term as well. And in the short term, uh, we have to correct uh, our cost competitiveness uh, as uh, there is no kind of uh, outside miracle helping us uh, in this regard. And with that uh, takeaway message then, uh, need for reform. Thank you, first of all, for reminding us of the benefits of a single currency. In this age of discontent, we forget sometimes why we got into this project. But I take from your presentation the need for adjustment, the need for reform, the need for increasing resilience. Am I, am I, interpreting, am I interpreting it correctly? I think you definitely, definitely are. And uh, as I said, uh, I would have preferred uh, policies uh, that would have been more supportive of uh, aggregate uh, demand and uh, stronger investment. Uh, but as we didn't have those, uh, then uh, we had to do it by rebalancing, as uh, this uh, slide shows, and uh, that has improved our resilience. Now we have to focus on uh, stronger and sustained gro growth and uh, job creation on the basis of that uh, improved uh, resilience. Thank you very much. Thank you all for coming, and please join me in thanking uh, the Minister for participating. Thank you.